On today's program, we have David Lompak, the co-founder and CEO of Steep Hill Labs. Steep Hill is the country's leading cannabis science and technology firm. Since opening their first commercial cannabis lab in 2008, Steep Hill has grown immensely. They now have labs in California, Washington, Colorado, and Nevada. Follow our show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for exclusive content not featured on today's show. Hello, hello, welcome. This is Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. So as this industry evolves, right, we're talking about the cannabis industry. That's what we talk about on this show. There's holes in the market due to this kind of quasi-legal nature of it right now. So we have this big organization in, in the U.S. called the FDA, right? And they keep us all safe. They test things. They, they give us regulations to make sure the stuff that you put in your body is safe. Unfortunately for cannabis, it's kind of legal, kind of not, definitely not at the federal level. So there's this massive hole for testing left in the industry because we want to make sure whatever you're smoking is safe, whatever you're eating is safe, the tincture you're putting on your body is safe. So we're here today at Steep Hill Labs, which is the premier testing facility in the country. I think there's five or six of them now. And uh, this is where you want to have your strains, your edibles, your oils, everything tested. Make sure you're good to go. And uh, here today, super excited to have David Lampak, CEO, co-founder of Steep Hill Labs. How's it going, man? It's Thanks going for good. being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Yeah, psyched to be here. Give us uh, like the mission statement. Like, What, what are you going for here? You right. Know? So our, our core mission is to educate patients and educate businesses in the cannabis industry that are either cultivating cannabis, processing it into edibles or different products that people consume, educating them and informing them so that the final products that patients consume are safe uh, and effective for whatever they're looking for and so that nobody's getting hurt or sick. Um, so that's our core mission. So I guess I've always heard that like marijuana is harmless. Right. And like it doesn't matter how much you smoke. No one's ever died from weed. Right. So like why does it matter? I mean, why does it matter? Um, yeah. So marijuana is actually one of the safest, you know, certainly safest drugs known to man. I mean, it's it's incredibly uh, it's incredibly harmless uh, when when you look at it relative to other other drugs and things like that. Um, but there are um, potential contaminants. So usually the things that would be unsafe about cannabis are not the cannabis itself, but the things that people might use during the production of the cannabis mm. or during the processing pesticides of the cannabis. And pesticides. Um, if there's mold, and so you can grow mold-free cannabis, but if you do have moldy cannabis, molds secrete mycotoxins, mm. which are, you know, they're, they're the waste products of molds. A lot of mycotoxins are extremely carcinogenic. Mm. Um, You've got like residual solvents in the process of making concentrates and those things can also end up in the edibles or whatever people are making out of the concentrates or people might be consuming those. So when you say solvents, you mean like what they kind of cook it with, right? Like explain that a little bit. Explain yeah, sure. Um, so you, so when you're making concentrated cannabis products, you want to extract cannabinoids from the plant or terpenes or both. Um, and in order to do that, you need some kind of solvent. So it could be butane, it could be oil, uh, even something as simple as like cooking oil, right? If you put cannabis infused oil, the oil is essentially acting like a solvent. Yeah. Um, and butane, uh, people use propane, they use, you know, the whole gamut of solvents. And so that's how you get the, the, 
the active ingredients out of the plant so that you could direct them to whatever it is you want to do or just consume them uh, you know on their own some people just like consuming uh consuming solvent based uh concentrates because there's no plant material there's no tar there's none of that other stuff that also can be potentially harmful when you smoke it so and is this sort of a, a lack of uh, breath of law in the sense that are there certain solvents that really shouldn't be used and, and we're just using them because there's no kind of regulation yet um there are some that people use in sort of rare cases like naphtha and different types of things that people use but for the most part people use safe solvents okay. it's really just a matter of having again the education and the protocols in place to make sure that they're getting them out after right so we see lots of different solvents in, in concentrates they come through this lab we have uh, manufacturers who come and they bring us their product and the first time they come there might be massive levels of certain residual solvents mm. But then they work through their process and they figure out how to do it right. And then eventually what they're bringing has very little solvent in it because by testing iteratively, they were able to refine their process to a place where they can actually get it out. So that's the case, you know, in most cases, residual solvent contamination is actually mitigatable. So, so what's a reasonable level of solvent that's left over in a, an oil or whatever that's safe? You know, what's, Well, what's I can't really speak to what levels are safe. Okay. There are, I mean, I'm not a doctor, yep. right? So yep. we quantitate the levels and then the regulators and the So maybe like what's common? Can you right. give me so what's common? So we commonly see different, con uh, different concentrations of sol uh, residual solvents all the way up into the five, ten thousand 10,000 parts per million. Mm -hmm. Um, something that's 10,000 parts per million is effectively 1% that, that solvent. Um, so my, I use a, uh, absolute extracts pen, right? right. Uh, vape. So right. the, uh, and that's CO2, I, I yeah. believe. Right. And so there's probably like 1% or less. There is, CO2 there's in... no residual. Well, CO2. So in the case of a, uh, a carbon dioxide, like supercritical solvent, um, carbon dioxide is the solvent. Okay. So when you compress carbon dioxide, you can turn it into something that's close to a liquid or even turn it into a liquid. They, it's super critical. So it's like oscillates between the gas and the liquid phase. Mm -hmm. um, and it will extract the cannabinoids. But since carbon dioxide is pretty much ubiquitous, it's not harmful uh, unless it. you were because it's everywhere. Room, it was anyway. full right. of carbon dioxide. It's, 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 by the time you finish, it's also very, um, you know, it, it it slips out really quickly. It's, it. it's not like some of the other carbons, you know, hydrocarbons that we see are, you know, hexane, heptane. They have more carbons. And so the more carbons you have, the bigger the solvent molecules are mm -hmm. and the harder it is for them to get out of the matrix of the, you know, the solvent concentrate or whatever it is. So carbon dioxide just like goes right up into the atmosphere and out. So unless there's something in the carbon dioxide, because whoever's using the supercritical carbon dioxide is getting it from a supplier. And like I was saying before, like 1%. So if you're working with 99% pure carbon dioxide, you've still got 10,000 parts per million other compounds. Mm -hmm. And so that could be, um, you know, that could be, but depending on what those compounds are, you could end up with those in the final product. But Got it. Yeah, and so, so is the trend kind of towards CO2? Because if that's the safest, why, why would you use anything else? Yeah, I don't know if the, I, I guess recently I've seen more of a trend. It, 
there was a trend towards CO2 and then it sort of went the other way. And maybe now it's trending back the other way. I'm starting to see a lot mm. more carbon dioxide uh, based products. Um, I think people are becoming more concerned with safety mm. overall. And is and there so a downside to the to the CO, using CO2? Um, yeah, well, so different solvents will extract cannabinoids and terpenes and other things in the plant at various efficiencies. Mm -hmm. Carbon dioxide isn't always the most efficient at extracting the terpenes, okay. so um, might be a might little less flavor, things like that. Aroma. So some real connoisseurs really like to work with butane. Butane Got works it. really well, unfortunately. It's butane. It's kind of dangerous. I don't know if it's dangerous. I mean, there is a USP 462, which is a document that's put out by the United States Pharmacopeia, and it. It lists the maximum concentration for inhalation of butane at like 5,000 parts per million. Okay. So if you were looking for that safe level, I don't know what's safe and what's not safe, but there are sort of That's levels. That's what they've set. outlined. Yeah. That's what they've outlined. Yeah. And uh, smoking a regular bowl, right, like with a pipe and a butane lighter. You actually do get quite a bit of butane yeah. that way. Yeah. Is that like dangerous? I, I thought of this several yeah, times. Right. You know? like, yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know. Cool. You know, human the human body is really good at yeah at dealing with toxins. Well, I'm still here, I so, guess. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. So take me back a little bit. I mean, I had the chance. You walked me this around earlier. Fantastic place. I'm just fascinated. I'm like a giddy little kid here. You know, like I've been a user for ten years or so, and now to see how everything's tested and how I get that THC number, like blowing my mind but right. take me back a little bit you know right. like how did you get started where did this idea come from yeah so i was a I've, I've been a cannabis cultivator for the last 14 years um i have land in mendocino county and i sort of came out at a time where there was this burgeoning sort of quasi legal zone forming california passed prop 215 in 1996 okay. and it took a few years to, to kind of ramp up and in 2000 or 2001 Mendocino County passed Measure G, which allowed for 25 plants per parcel, sort of just, you know, anybody could grow 25 plants yep. per parcel. So I ended up in that environment um, cultivating there. Prior to that, I worked on Wall Street. Um, and so I kind of, when I got Pretty out- Pretty different, right? It's totally different. <laughs> actually, I, I actually loved being on the land and cultivating, like, and because we grew lots of food. Sure. It was it was awesome, sure, right? Those yeah. were the those were really good years, um, but I took with me this kind of love of markets and looking at commodities and data. macroeconomics. Yeah, data. data. I actually yeah. have data that I, I've been tracking the wholesale price of cannabis in Northern California and Southern California for the last like since two thousand. I have data going back to like two thousand three. And what are your findings? Well, so that's why I actually ended up. One of the reasons that we ended up starting the lab was because so when I got out. California. I came from New York originally. Um, the pr the wholesale price of cannabis was maybe between five and six thousand dollars a pound. Okay. What and year is this? This is like two thousand two, okay. two thousand. Yeah, like that that Got region. It. Depending on the quality and stuff, but there was definitely five thousand for sure uh, in that day. Wow. Was 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 what it was. Okay. Um, and then it it really declined pretty quickly over the next decade. There was like an up and down cycle, which is kind of interesting to see. Um, just because there's too much supply? Is it just too many people growing? Is that the... Well, so the overall trend has been increase in supply. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that really holds the price up at all 
is the fact that there's massive demand, right? Mm. And there's most places you and can't risk, cultivate cannabis. We'll assume and risk. Risk. Yeah. risk was a huge factor yeah. in that. Right. Without risk, you right. know, then the supply just rises to meet sure. the demand. Yeah. And that's all. No problem. Yeah. Um, but so I saw that the price was declining. And so in, around 2007, we decided, you know, I decided to kind of look at getting into a business that was more picks and shovels as opposed to sure. attached to the commodity itself. I hate to define, you know, call cannabis a commodity yeah. and look at it in that way. But so you were ready to make um, Levi's jeans, basically. I was, so, yeah. you know, and I also, this was a good fit because I want to make a difference and we want to have a business. So when you, know, you can make a business and have uh, and make a difference at the same time, mm -hmm. then it's, you're winning. Mm -hmm. um, True so, story, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> We should clip that out. That was a good one. <laughs> um, so that's why I, why I did that. And that, you know, I've always I follow the kind of the economics of the cannabis market really you know really closely. So it's it's you know it's a and, and what's that wholesale place like today? Today, because it's late summer, um, and the price has come back up. So it's a cyclical. It's seasonally cyclical, right? Okay. There's the harvest is in the fall late fall and winter so that's when your lowest prices are um it's when you have your lowest prices right and then as the supply dwindles um across like the spring and summer you get to the end of the summer and that's when there's the highest prices so right now people i would say it's right around fifteen hundred dollars a pound on the wholesale side okay. i mean if you have really good stuff people pay you a little more a little yeah. less it's not an efficient market so right. you'll find stuff all sure. around that range but that's about what it is right now um, and then that's changed. That dynamic has changed a little bit because people have started doing light depths. And so, so, well, they essentially force flower their plants in the, you know, the cannabis plant won't flower until the light cycle approaches 12 and 12. Okay. So, or at least the type of cannabis we grow in the Northern hemisphere. Um, so what people will do is they'll start cannabis early or they'll start, you know, in February or January even, and they'll grow it up to a certain size and they'll start force flowering it in hoop houses in June or July. And then you've got product coming off in August mm -hmm. or late July mm -hmm. or, you know, early September. And, and is there any downside to doing that? I mean, is it? No, it's actually a great way to do well, lower yield. Okay. So you okay. get lower yield. Uh, you, it's good because you flowered under the most intense sun, mm. right? Which makes a really mm. good cannabis. Mm -hmm. But um, and so there's not really that many downsides. I mean, it's just a lot of work and less yield. But it's okay. it's pretty. So clearly, you have this insane domain knowledge and background in yeah. in cannabis yeah. and growing and everything. It's like a coincidence, but yeah. <laughs> and then you decide like uh, I'm going to translate this into right. testing and yeah. and what are the first few steps? You know, how did you get started? Um, well, the first step was conceiving the idea and then going around and talking to people. And so that was an interesting thing because people would just you know everyone said you can't do it. You need to have a PhD. You can't get the standard. Classic startup, right? Yeah, everyone right? everyone's tell telling you, you no. Yeah. And so that was like fuel for me and my co-founders. Cool. Um, and, you know, six, I think it took us six months to do sort of the initial thing, which was potency testing that everyone said we couldn't do. Hmm. Um, and that's just percentage THC? Is that what you That mean was just percentage THC and CBD and CBN. That was like the first thing we did on the gas yeah. chromatograph, which actually we don't even use for cannabinoid analysis really anymore okay. because of the, the heat degrades the acidic cannabinoids. And so now we look at a much wider range. The reason we chose GC in the beginning was because... The DEA and NIDA 
have for years been using GC. Like liquid chromatography really has only come into like its its own in the last 20, maybe 25 years. Okay. Um, so um, when we, you know, now we use liquid chromatography. We did gas chromatography at the beginning. Um, and interestingly, in 2009, we identified the first, I don't know if you read this, but we identified the first high CBD strain in the cannabis supply. So people knew there was high CBD cannabis. It was rumored to exist. CBD was a known cannabinoid, yep. but nobody saw any high CBD plants. And then like one day we just found one. It was like, wow. Man, yeah. Is that like a crazy moment? It was a crazy moment. Actually, yeah. it took me maybe like 24 hours to figure out that I hadn't made a mistake. Okay. It's like, you know, you're seeing something you're like anomalous. retested yeah, 12 like, times. What's and... going on? Wow. Um, so that was interesting. Do you, you have know? a party or like call the newspaper? Like, yeah, the, the, the press came. Yeah. Some, yeah. There wasn't too much press that was like really interested in that type of stuff at that point. But Got O'Shaughnessy's okay. uh, came, which okay. is a great yeah. sort of medical uh -huh. patient-centric publication. Uh -huh. So like a medical journal. Right? Yeah, it's like yeah. a medical yeah. journal a little bit. Got it. Um, so they were excited. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. So I'm just blown away by your knowledge of all this. Do you have a chemistry background or a bio background? I don't. I actually majored in sociology in college. Wow. I just, you know, I just, after doing this now for the last eight years and being in cannabis just for the last 14 or yeah. 15 years, you just like learn what you're doing. Yeah. So wow. That's what happened. Fucking science. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> it's, it's Very cool. So flash forward a little bit. Tell us about the scope of the business today. You know, how many customers? You're you five or six labs now. Kind of. Yeah. So the... we have five labs. We're in Denver, California. We're in Berkeley, California, um, Denver, Colorado, Las Vegas, Nevada, Seattle, Washington, and Albuquerque, New Mexico, with maybe Oregon opening up uh, in the near future. Um, and we, so our core is still the quality assurance testing. So we're looking for potency, pesticides, you know, microbiological contamination, residual solvents, heavy metals in some of our labs, anything that is a contaminant. Now, in California, there's no regulation yet. So that's actually different than every other state we're in. Every other state regulates what we're testing for. So we're licensed by the state, we're accredited by the state, we test for what they're telling us to test for mm -hmm. at levels and specifications that they're telling us to do. Mm -hmm. So it's different in all those other states. Interesting. And California is sort of the, the like. And are those regulations generally more limiting or? Uh, limiting in what sense? What you can test or what you can't test? Or well, they, they don't limit you? what we can test, but they set minimum minimum tolerance levels ah, for certain I see. things. Yeah. I see. So, so give me an example of California. Well, there's no regulations. There are no regulations right. in California. Okay. But right. but Washington State versus yeah, Colorado. So Washington State versus Colorado. So they're a little they're similar. They're similar, but they're they're a little different. Um, Colorado has different levels of certain microbes. So you have to look for certain certain microbes specifically that you don't have to look for in Washington. They have, um, Washington has a level, uh, has set a level of 500 parts per million for solvents kind of across the board. Colorado has been a little more specific and certain ones, um, and I'm not sure the names of those, I'd have to go look that up, but uh, go down to 20 parts per million. They've identified, they've gotten a little more granular with it and said, okay, 50 parts per million and then some are 20 parts per million and just depending on what it is. Um, New Mexico is a little 
is just kind of getting their regulation going, but they're kind of mirroring closer maybe to Washington mm -hmm. than, mm -hmm. than Colorado. And it's sort of like a big grand experiment, right? You go to Connecticut and it's totally different, fully restrictive, mm. you know, you can't use, you know, in New Mexico, uh, in Connecticut, I'm not even sure, I don't think they can produce, you can't produce concentrates. Mm -hmm in Connecticut, I think. Okay, interesting. Um, and you have to test for terpenes if they're over 1%. The last language of the AB 266 bill, which has now been sort of gutted in California, had language that would require us to test for terpenes as well. Mm, I see. Um, so yeah, they're all different. And I, you know, as time goes by, we'll settle in on what everyone's happy with. And then probably it'll all just go eventually just kind of drift towards the national norm and then eventually the FDA will take over or something like that. Right. So, yeah, yeah that, that, that was my next question, actually. Yeah. So when this gets federally legal, um, how does that affect your business? You know, what is the FDA going to do? Um, well, I don't, you know, I, it's hard to predict the future and we're still several years away from that sort of in the, in maybe in the most optimistic sense we're we're several years away from that. But um, it's certainly going to increase the stringency of reporting and chain of custody and sort of things that everybody has to do under FDA regulations. Um, it changes how we, it actually for us, it doesn't really change how we track our data and things like that because we look to FDA regulation and anticipate it in the future. So we try to model everything mm -hmm. around like where that's headed, mm -hmm. uh, assuming that's coming. Um, I'm not sure ultimately how the dynamic, you have all these state laws in place. So when the FDA does regulate, how does that interplay with the state laws is a big question that I don't know the answer to yet. Mm -hmm. Whether the states just cede that authority to the federal government or they certainly haven't ceded the authority right now. They're regulating it themselves sure. and the federal government is saying no. But. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you look at precedent, not just within cannabis, but just law in general, right? Generally, federal mandates are very broad yeah, right. and open to interpretation for states. So I would assume it'd be similar. But Something similar, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, a lot of states go above and beyond the federal regulations. One place where, though, that where where it will fall under federal federal regulation will be the um, pesticides. Mm. And so I've worked with states in a regulatory capacity, and one of the biggest issues they run into is pesticides because in the United States all pesticide regulation is comes from the EPA down and even states they can go above and beyond it's like every other law but the EPA really sets the sets the bar for pesticides and if a product is not labeled for pest if a you know a certain pesticide is not labeled for use with a certain product it's illegal so the EPA won't touch cannabis because it's still federally illegal they haven't labeled any pesticides for use and yet you've got states trying to regulate pesticides and in all the states it's like you know they draw that um, inspiration from the federal government the ag commissioners and they work really closely with the EPA so when the states try to regulate pesticides it, it starts to get weird because the sort of ag side of a state's the state government works really closely with the federal government so they don't know how to like navigate it fully yet. interesting so, yeah it's kind of interesting, interesting. and why aren't universities more involved in the research and testing and you know what has to change for that yeah and that's actually changing so okay. we have a partnership with the university of colorado where we're cool. doing genetics stuff right um we work with uh, a doctor at uc davis who's doing some microbiological stuff um 
they are starting to do it. I mean, the reason they haven't been doing it is because they get money, they get federal grant money, and the federal government for the longest time has been saying, no, 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 you yeah. can't do this. And if, you know, if you're getting millions and millions of dollars from the federal government and they say no and they say we're going to take your money away if you do this, then they just don't do it. It's like if you're running for office. Exactly. And, yeah. So And then they, you know, overseas. So there's been good work being done in Israel. There's been good work done in Holland, places uh, where, you know, it's a little bit, the regulations are a little bit more sensible mm -hmm. with respect to research. And Israel's Canada. an interesting one. Uh, we had a guy named Yoni on the show that has like a self-contained smart growing system you do with your smartphone it's pretty cool yeah um, and he was like the regulation in israel is reasonable and progressive but the culture and society of cannabis in israel is far behind what california is anyway thought that was yeah no they they're you know they've got the science they certainly have agriculture yeah you know israel's a great agricultural sort of yeah. uh you know they discover they they invent and and research lots of interesting things with agriculture out of necessity, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just in Israel about six weeks ago. Oh, cool. Um, and I got to experience a little bit of how that system works and talk to some people who are in the medical cannabis system there. It's really hard to get in the medical cannabis system yeah, there. Yeah, it it's hard to get a recommendation, It's right? hard to, it's not, well, recommendation is actually only a word for here. I think there would actually be a prescription. A prescription, which is um, how it should be. That's right? how it should be. Yeah. So, um, I know that it took years for my friend to get it. Um, they had to see like a government pain specialist. It's not like here where a doctor just says, go for it right. and you right. can do it. They're controlled and you have to go back every year and, and then, you know, then, then you can get it. And the cannabis quality is really not, not what you see in California. Right. I mean, the, the cool thing about California and some of the other states in this country is that now it's time to regulate. But there was a period of time where they didn't regulate and that allows for so much creativity and like economic activity and people sure. doing all this stuff because there's not government regulation yeah, in a way sure. yeah. so that they, you know, figured out all this stuff, breed really incredible cannabis and all these things that might not have happened if it were regulated from day one. Um, so now we need it, but it was kind of cool to have the period of time where you didn't have it so that you could build a market and create this like amazing industry that we're in now. So Very cool. So what's next for you guys? You're raising a round currently? Yeah, we're in a $5 million round right now. Okay. Um, I'm actually leaving for Holland in two days to go talk to European investors. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and Is that out of necessity or you just... Uh... Well, yeah, because, it, yeah, I mean, necessity in the sense that we have to scale, right? So we've we already closed the three and a half million dollar round like two years ago. And was that an A or Well, an it's, a there was or? no preferred stocks. I mean, you could look at it like an A, okay. but it was, it's just, it was a common round. Yep. They're all common rounds in this company. Um, and who's in, who were the investors in that round? In that round, it was, it was like fund managers. So a lot of funds, we went to Wall Street and did a road show. Um, a lot of funds. I bet you had some good connections there too. Uh, we did, get we that did, started. we had great yeah. connections. Uh, a lot of fun. Would you have ever thought that your Wall Street background would help you fund a cannabis company? Was that did that ever cross no, your mind? No, I never you even thought I'd have a cannabis yeah. company. I like look at my life now, and you know I'm 39, and for the last like 14 or 15 years I've been doing you know the cannabis industry in one aspect or another. Yeah. And it's like starting to like look like a life career. You know? Right. Really and that's now the bigger part of your life yeah. than the Wall it's Street. It's really weird. Wow. So interesting. I bet your ex colleagues are pretty damn jealous too. 
They probably are. You know, people people are always fascinated by this this industry. Yeah, so. I mean, but you've blown up everywhere, right? You've been on HBO and the History Channel and yeah, Vice, you know. and yeah, sure. now investing in cannabis, which is obviously sure. know, changing yeah. your business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, so you're looking for raising around now. You raised the two. Or three? Three and a half. Three and a half. Right. Congratulations. Yep. And uh, now you're looking at... We're raising another five. Uh, we've raised a million of that five. Um, and that's first... You know, the last... Really, the last three and a half million went towards, like, infrastructure for this company. Because when you... It's one thing to have a lab that's doing testing. It's another thing to have a lab that can scale to the extent that's necessary. I mean, we have labs in multiple places. The software changes. Um, you know, all the things that are easy to do on a small scale become much more onerous. And so you have to change your systems. Like you saw in there, there's a million dollar sequencer. You got to invest in certain types of equipment. Genetics isn't cheap. um, And that's one of the places that we're going now. So we're doing strain identification, gene sequencing, intellectual property development around cannabis, uh, gen kit, which, uh, well, we don't have one here. I could show you one. This is a DNA-based diagnostic. We've got like five other DNA-based diagnostics, mm. and all that is R&D. It all costs costs money to do. To be yeah. honest, I'm shocked by the uh, size around that you're raising. I like mean, it's five low, million right? dollars small, is yeah. Nothing, I mean, it's right? not very much. I mean, I come from a tech background right. where people raise you know a fifty, 50 million, million dollar B round, yeah. right? So right. Uh, that's a credit to you for being as lean as you are. I guess. To, to I guess it's you know it's it's also an indication of kind of where the the appetite for cannabis investment is at at you know, you kind of have to live in the world you're in. Yeah. And so I've raised money in this industry several times, all for Steep Hill, and each time it's been characteristically different, right? So originally, after 2012, so prior to 2012, it was really hard to raise money as a laboratory. Anybody who had the appetite for the level of risk that was associated with this industry at that time was either investing in cultivation or dispensaries okay. because it's like, that's you can see the money and right. it's clear right. path to, yeah. to ROI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after 2012, when Colorado and Washington legalized, that really kind of amped up sort of the investment interest in the in the sure. yeah. in, you expanded the market. Yeah. Right, right. Dramatically. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of unfortunately a lot of. Um, there, at that time, there were and became a lot of publicly traded companies that may not have, you know, had the most, um, how to describe this, uh, you know, some of them had real businesses, but they weren't that exciting. Yeah, I'm fascinated or, by this. We've talked to a couple other investors and they're like, well, we've taken all of our investments public. And right. at first, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And then I'm thinking about it like, well, okay, but we're not talking about the same kind of public here. <laughs> like, right. It's not like they're being listed on NASDAQ. Right. They're yeah. all going, you know, reverse mergers into these you know, right. shell companies. And it's right. like, that's fine. That's a perfectly legitimate way to go. But it's those people got to take advantage for a period of time of a very frothy dynamic in the cannabis space. Mm. But a, almost all of those companies are now down, you know, to yeah. either out or down very, right. very far. Um, and so that soured the public's interest because people got burned and for a time, like especially for, a time. for like people who track it, like fund managers and things like that, you know, they want to wait and see real, real investors, investors, right? Yeah. They want to wait and see who the winners are going to be, who's yeah. really doing interesting stuff. So we, we kind of led with maybe weaker companies overall. Um, and then, so now we're, and then we went through a really hard time where it was harder to raise money mm-hmm. um, again. And then 
Now I'm seeing another change in the dynamic because people are raising funds now. Mm. I think that's the difference mm. now mm. is like there are funds out there. It's been institutionalized. People, yeah. It's starting to be institutionalized. Yeah. So there are, I know, you know, I can think of two or three funds that have raised between 25 and $80 million, yep. right? They have to invest in somebody mm -hmm. at some point. So it starts to kind of create more interest in the space again. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of what we're seeing now. We're going to Europe actually because the Europeans, and especially in Holland and places like that, they just haven't had exposure to cannabis companies yet. So mm. we're, you know, hopefully they'll get excited about this sector yeah. and the potential. It here. was in Amsterdam a couple weeks ago. Oh really? And yeah, oh. I mean, magical place, especially in August. Yeah. I'm going to Amsterdam every August forever. Really? I decided it's so. Have you been That's before? Cool. I haven't. Oh no. man, you're in for a treat. Uh, you're in for a treat yeah. for a lot of different reasons, right. most of which shouldn't be talked on the show. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you're no, you're not married. No, no ring. I on, am so married. You, I just don't don't wear a ring because you're like testing and doing science. I don't and know. Stuff, we but. just never did the ring thing. Oh, all right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. We're we talk about all kinds hippies, of things on this show. Really. You're hippies, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're about the smartest hippie that I talked to, man. That's for damn sure. <laughs> that's some pretty smart hippies, actually. Yeah, there that's actually really that's unfair. I shouldn't have characterized it that way. I shouldn't have characterized yeah. it that way. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, well, man, thanks again for being on the sure. show. Much yeah. appreciated. I appreciate for you guys taking around here. this lab. I mean, uh, yeah. This far surpassed our expectations of how cool this was going to be. Cool. I mean, we're here on a Saturday, guys, and they're cranking it out. They got employees over here right. doing testing and right. shit. Like, this guy's running a tight ship over yeah. here. But anyway, thanks again. Great to meet it. you, man. Yep, and, good to uh, meet you as well. Uh, David Lampack on Twitter at Steep Hill Labs. Lab or Labs? I don't know. You'll on find Twitter. it. Yeah, You'll it's find Steep it, Hill Lab. You'll find it, guys. Steep Hill Lab, right? Yeah. Are you on Twitter? You want people to follow you on Twitter? No. I am on Twitter. I, I don't. I don't use it very effectively. No worries then. Or <laughs> at cannabis. Cannabis Pod. CEO is my Twitter. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You should use it, or you should I, at least I, sell I have, it to like, somebody. Occasionally, I throw you know throw stuff on. Okay. There. Okay. It's cool. something really. Moves but me. but uh, Steve Hill's Twitter is, Steve is pretty active. active. Yeah, it's it's pretty really active. active. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks again, guys. We're at Cannabis Pod uh, on Twitter, YouTube, everywhere content is consumed. It's been really fun, man. Thanks sure. again. Yeah, I appreciate it. See you guys next time. Thanks.